Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. Bleeding disorders are a group of rare conditions that result when the blood cannot clot properly, with the result that they can bleed for longer than normal and some people may experience spontaneous bleeding into joints, muscles or other parts of their bodies, which can lead to developmental and permanent mobility issues. These diseases are almost always inherited, although in rare cases they can develop later in life if the body forms antibodies that fights against the blood's natural clotting factors. Perhaps the most well-known bleeding disorder is haemophilia A, which predominantly but not exclusively affects men. Clive Smith is chair of the Haemophilia Society and lives with the condition. Haemophilia is a genetic clotting disorder. There's something that's known as the clotting cascade. If you were to bump your leg on a table, then your clotting cascade would kick in. Your body would then produce thrombin, which would prevent any internal bleeding. The clotting cascade is actually a Y shape, but if you think of it almost like a domino, there are two main types of haemophilia, haemophilia A and haemophilia B. Haemophilia A is factor eight deficiency. Haemophilia B is factor nine deficiency. Haemophilia C is rarer still, and that's factor 11 deficiency. And it means that when you get to that bit in the dominoes, as it were, number eight's missing or number nine or number 11 missing. So the traditional treatment has been to replace those missing clotting factors. So that's what I inject myself with, factor replacement therapy. Haemophilia isn't the only bleeding disorder that your society provides help and support for. How large is the patient community? The latest records show 10,952 people recorded in the UK as having haemophilia itself. The most common bleeding disorder is actually a disease called von Willebrand's disease, and that actually affects majority of women. So I think in the UK more broadly, we have just over 30,000 people diagnosed with bleeding disorders, but we think there are around something like 35,000 people living with an undiagnosed bleeding disorder. There are a variety of reasons for that. Often they affect women, and there's a perception, at least amongst some healthcare professionals that men bleed and women carry the disorder. And so it can be underestimated to that extent. Sometimes within families, women might report having heavy periods, for example, and then they might go and speak to a relative. And because they have the same condition unknowingly, they will then normalize it and say, oh, yeah, we're just a family of heavy bleeders, for example. So they will never seek help. Often, sometimes healthcare professionals carry out inquiries and don't actually get to the root cause of it. So diagnosis is an issue around the world. And I think we often think that living in a developed Western country, that diagnosis would be good. And it is. It is relatively good. But we shouldn't underestimate the fact that there are a significant number of people out there who are undiagnosed. We'll have more details on the wordonhealth.com website on that. It has to be said that people with bleeding disorders haven't been helped by myths and misconceptions, errors in the past that resulted in a statutory public inquiry on contaminated blood in the 1970s and 1980s, which created unnecessary deaths and suffering are the darker days. Today, treatments for bleeding disorders have been transformed, and you and other members of the community are keen to share the news that it is possible to live well with a bleeding disorder. Undoubtedly, it is possible to live an active and full lifestyle with haemophilia. It requires a combination of things, good doctors, good nurses, good physiotherapists, psychological support, knowing about treatments, living a healthy lifestyle, family support, social support, and support within the community as well, because it's a rare disease. Lots of people aren't 
always sure what you can and can't do. For example, I'm going to a meeting with the Haemophilia Society. There's a newly diagnosed weekend, which is set up for families and parents who've had recently had children with bleeding disorders. And it's about talking to them and actually for them seeing somebody with a bleeding disorder, what they look like, what they can do, what they can achieve, what perhaps they don't do, perhaps the precautions they take in life, all those sorts of things. My grateful thanks to Clive Smith. For further information and to link through to the Haemophilia Society, log onto our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. Over the last 20 years, we've seen headline after headline highlighting the huge rise in the numbers of people developing diet-related type 2 diabetes. And we've seen the impact on well-being, mortality, as well as the extraordinary pressure placed on our already overstretched health service. A significant step in the battle to win back control over soaring blood sugar levels has been made by the magnificent efforts of overweight type 2 diabetic patients placing their condition into remission, reducing the need for them to be on diabetic medication. Nusrat Khazar is clinical director at Primary Care Dietitians. So if you make changes to your diet and lifestyle and you can lose, say, a significant amount of weight, around 10 to 15 kilograms for most people, or around two and a half stone. And if you haven't had diabetes for a long time, so if you're newly diagnosed and you are able to lose that weight and make diet and lifestyle choices and changes, you can put your diabetes into remission. So in terms of numbers, if you're diagnosed with diabetes, you've probably got a HbA1c of more than 48. But when you achieve remission, your HbA1c is lower than that. True remission is that you would need to be not on any medicines anymore. So say if you're newly diagnosed and you won't be on any meds, hopefully you can just lose that weight and not need to even start medication. However, if you have had diabetes for more than 10 years, six years, 12 years, remission is possible, but you may not always come off your meds. You may not achieve true remission, but you may achieve something called mitigation, where you still may be on a few medicines, but that's still got huge benefits in the sense that you're not taking that much medication, you've lost weight, you'll feel better, your levels will be in a much nicer place, so you're not going to have those symptoms that you may have if you've got higher levels. We should emphasise that we're talking about people that are overweight with type 2 diabetes. Remission for type 1 diabetic patients isn't yet achievable. They can get good levels of HbA1c, so obviously having a HbA1c of 48 or lower would be a really good benefit because that's a really good level of control, but it's not always the aim for someone with type 1 diabetes. For those type 2 diabetics that need to and can lose the weight, you've mentioned. Remission also helps to keep your blood pressure and cholesterol down. And we're told having blood sugar, blood pressure and cholesterol levels in a healthy range is usually linked to a lower risk of complications such as serious problems with your eyes, feet or heart. So remission is likely to do the same. What approaches can be adopted to reach remission? The best way to achieve remission is actually through bariatric surgery. However, there's a huge waiting list. It's not for everyone. It's quite a long process. You still have to lose weight or be showing to be actively involved in losing weight. In terms of what we call non-surgical remissions, there's a lot more evidence for very low calorie diets significant changes swapping over to maybe a couple of shakes a day you're having maybe some vegetables you would do that for six months and you would sort of reintroduce food gradually back in but it might not always address some of the elements to why you were overeating in the first place being able to achieve remission is a lot easier but the maintenance and the support that you need is quite in depth 
with low carb diets, anyone can do it. You know, you can take a few key principles, reduce your total carbohydrate intake. Also with low carb, there's a few ranges. So we've got things like moderate carb. Technically, that's around 200, 200 grams of carbohydrate. A low carb diet can be something around 120. And then you can have things like keto diets or very low carb diets, which are a lot lower. So, you know, less than 80 grams of carbohydrate a day. Another option is lower GI diet, making sure all your food doesn't have sugary foods in it, making sure you've always got a little bit of healthy fat or a little bit of protein at each meal. Other things that people have been doing, the 5-2 diet or fasting, five days a week, you eat normally, and then two days a week, 500 to 800 calories in that day but then the other five days are normal. So it allows people to sort of make a choice of what they do. Rapid weight loss in type 2 diabetes is not advised if you are a healthy weight, under 18, pregnant, breastfeeding, or have ever been diagnosed with an eating disorder. And before embarking on a radical weight loss regime, you should check in with your healthcare team. Just to sort of prevent any issues you may have. So please do get in touch with your dietitian, nurse, GP, however you would normally do that, just to keep you safe. My grateful thanks to Nusrat Kazar from Primary Care Dietitians. We'll have more on diabetes remission with links through to organisations such as Diabetes UK on our website, www.wedandhealth.com. That's www.wedandhealth.com. Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. When your heart beats, it pumps blood round your body to give it the energy and oxygen it needs. As the blood moves, it pushes against the sides of the blood vessels. The strength of this pushing is your blood pressure. If your blood pressure is too high, it puts extra strain on your arteries and your heart. High blood pressure, or hypertension as it's otherwise termed, is responsible for about half the heart attacks and strokes in the UK. It's wrongly thought of as an older person's health problem. It can develop at any age, and recent data from the Office of National Statistics has revealed a considerable number of young people aged 16 to 24 unknowingly have risky high blood pressure. To gain an understanding as to why, I spoke to Dr Pauline Swift from the charity Blood Pressure UK. It's a complex mixture of genetics and environment, and the environment really that we're talking about here relation to high blood pressure is diet. There is increasing obesity in children as well as young adults and an increased BMI is very strongly linked to an increased risk of high blood pressure. Between 5 and 7% of young adults will have high blood pressure. The problem is that it's not necessarily picked up. The risk of high blood pressure increases with age, and it's believed one in three adults have it, but many don't realise it because it doesn't have any symptoms. A key thrust of your campaigning work at Blood Pressure UK over the years has been for people of all ages to know what their blood pressure is and to follow the guidance on how often they should have it rechecked. In our technology-driven age, there are now a range of do-it-yourself devices. What's your thoughts on these? The important thing for buying a blood pressure machine is to make sure that it's a validated blood pressure machine. There's lots of new apps coming out and wearable devices that are not yet validated for proper blood pressure checking. The Blood Pressure UK website or the British and Irish Hypertension Society website, they're both good for looking to see that you've got a validated machine. 
With money being tight, there's always the option of your local pharmacy or your GP surgery where you can get your BP checked, and you really should. The good news is there are a range of lifestyle measures we can take to reduce the risk of high blood pressure. As part of that, one of Blood Pressure UK's key thrusts has been to alert us to the dangers of eating too much salt in our diets, which research shows most of us do. Salt is a major dietary environmental risk factor for high blood pressure. And even if you're on medications, you will benefit from reducing your salt intake because it makes your medications more effective. So salt drives the blood pressure up and it's an environmental toxin as far as I'm concerned for driving high blood pressure up and it makes high blood pressure quite resistant to treatment. So it's very important to cut it out. And finally, Dr Swift, If you have been diagnosed with high blood pressure and are on treatments, how important is it to stay on your medication? That's an excellent question and thank you for asking it because it is vitally important that once you're on established treatment that you continue taking it. You have to make adjustments in your own way of thinking that this is a controllable disease, completely controllable, but it's only controllable if you have healthy lifestyle, modify your diet and take your tablets. I have seen many really sad cases of people presenting with severe heart failure, severe kidney failure because they had been taking their tablets and then decided that they stopped taking them. Also, if you suddenly stop taking your medications, then your blood pressure will shoot up to what your baseline level of hypertension is. And that can be extremely dangerous. It's a really bad idea. So you have to, I think, encourage individuals to think about just incorporating this into their routine like they would if they were taking a vitamin tablet, brushing their teeth, doing things to keep themselves healthy and well. My grateful thanks to Dr Pauline Swift. To find out more about high blood pressure and to link through to Blood Pressure UK, log onto our website www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health, on air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, your personal prescription for your very best of health. 